It's Tennessee Titans talk, and we're gathered here today to eulogize. Did I can never remember his name? Todd, Todd Downing. Downing. Todd, that's so corrupt. <laughs> I can never remember the idiot's name. Give me five. It's Tennessee Titans talk. We're here today to eulogize former Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing. And there's only one man that could properly put him at rest, and that's he's wearing a black hoodie and black blue jeans and black Nikes, Landon Peden. Yeah, rest in peace, Todd Downing. Rip Bozo. Rip Bozo for the man that threw away the best chance at a Super Bowl we will have for at least a decade. Rip Bozo for the man who oversaw the league's worst scoring offense in terms of score percentage. So, on average, when we took the field, we scored any points the least out of anyone. And remember, there were some really, really shitty offenses we saw this year. We were the worst. He oversaw the worst second half offense in the NFL by a pathetic degree. We scored 5.5 points a game in the second half. We didn't even score a touchdown per game. The next worst team was the Rams at 7, and Pittsburgh at 7.8, and Denver at 7.9. Three of the worst offenses who had a ton of injuries and problems and locker room trouble, and they were two points better than us. And we all know, in the second half, it's pretty much like the offense is just out there to get a paycheck. They're like, oh, three and out every time. Why not? He oversaw the offense that had the highest three and out rate by at least three percentage points. We went out we went three and out 38% of the time. So over one third of the time, you know, the offense goes out there. He's going to call some shit plays and it's going to be an embarrassing quick drive where we quickly punt. The one good thing he has done for us is that his offenses were so bad. We were we were stuck so far in our own side of the field that he let Stonehouse just kick it as far as he could because he had literally no way to reach the end zone like other good punters. Other good punters, their offense gets to the 50, they get to the 40. Oh, I don't have all the field in front of me. But with, Don, with Downing, we'd be lucky to get to the 35. And then Stonehouse can just boom it away because it doesn't matter if he hits a touchback because the touchback is 75 yards away. He oversaw a passing offense in 2021 or 2022 in an era where passing is easier than ever, is more plentiful than ever. He oversaw a five-game streak where we didn't throw for 150 yards. And this wasn't, and two of those games were with Malik Willis, but three of those games weren't. And three of those games were tight and contested and the offense had to do everything it could just to hang on and survive. Still, less than 150. Actually, six of our first eight games were were less than... 150. The best teams in the NFL, the ones that actually have a competent NFL offense that's in the 21st century and has actual offensive coordinators that know what they're doing and they aren't sniffing glue, they average that per half. And for about half the season, for actually, yeah, for half the season, we were lucky to get that in, in an entire game. And it wasn't like we were an elite rushing office where we didn't need to pass. We were average in rushing yards. We were average in yards per carry. And we know just watching it on a per, on a per play basis, it was the most embarrassing, pathetic, just tear your hair out play calling where you just wonder if Todd Downing is secretly wanting to get fired because he just is tired. He doesn't want to put in the work. So he's purposely trolling. He is purposely trying to see how little he can actually do and still keep his job. And it turned out that he could pretty much do whatever he wanted, including getting arrested for a DUI. After the one good game he called all year, he could do that and he wouldn't get fired for the rest of the season. So in the end, we're saying Rip Bozo, we're happy that he's finally gone. But I mean, end of the day, I think Todd Downing is the one that should be laughing at us. Yeah, it's a costly tenure there because we all knew, especially from that Bengals playoff game, that we, we missed an opportunity. Big fella, Todd Downing, dead. Dead. Gone. Len, you know, one thing I love about you is you always just get straight to the point and, you know, very, very quick to it, especially when it comes to Downing. No, but I, I think I think you buried him, and I think that's where he needs to stay. <laughs>
Well, we've talked about him a lot, and I think we can hopefully move on and not talk about him again. He's a human being, so we hope the best for him personally, but I'm glad to see him go. Oh, God. We've got other guys leaving, and we got some guys coming. We're going to talk about that. Let's talk about Jim Schwartz. I know, Big Fella, you think he had a really good impact and on our defense. Uh, he's going to move along and take a more official job, but... I like where our defense is at from a coaching staff standpoint, but what do you think about Schwartz moving on? Yeah, I've always liked Jim Schwartz. Obviously, he's got a history here with the Titans way back in the Fisher days, and he's had head head coach experience, which I think is really valuable, especially in the role that he played and the development of Shane Bowen, too, because there were, I think it was just even last year or the year before where we were, we were all calling for Shane Bowen's head, and you know that has had a drastic turnaround, and I think a lot of it is due to Jim Schwartz. So I'm not surprised. He has a def- he got a defensive coordinator job. He he signed with the Browns, I believe it was today or yesterday. So good for him. I'm proud of I'm proud that he got another shot, and you know I'm happy for him. I wish he could have stayed here because I think he really gelled and kind of was the backbone of the attitude of this team. So um, I hope that he transitioned everything he needed to to Shane Bowen because we all knew he was a rental till he had another job. Um, but yeah, I think he's a great great defensive coordinator. He had Philly playing at a really high level when he was there and we luckily just were able to lure him away from them i'm a little worried about what the departure means for the defense going forward because it it is hard to just pick apart what improvement from the 2020 defense which was historically bad the one you're talking about big fella it's hard to it's hard to see just how much of the improvement was jim swartz came in have a veteran mind in there to help push bone in the right direction how much of it was building up the talent just top to bottom along the defensive roster going from absolute nobodies at pass rusher and cornerback to a pretty deep room in 2021 before injuries struck again in 2022 and the defense was bad again so it's hard to tell was Schwartz the main reason why the defense has been pretty good the past couple years or of the talent and Bowen has actually proven to be a competent defensive coordinator. Hopefully Bowen has learned a few things from the veteran coach so we won't have to see the 2020 defense game because if we see that 2020 defense with what the offense might be next year that would be really tough to watch. I feel like from a personnel standpoint, we're generally pretty good position. This will be an important draft. Um, we know, especially in the defensive backfield, maybe just some just some more bodies out there. I'd love to get a good veteran free agent and kind of hit on him. But yeah, I think generally it's just been so bad this year on offense, as you so well pointed out, that it's hard to even spend a lot of time thinking about the defense. We just assume that they'll um, they'll they'll be an asset to us next year. But who knows? So the Titans have hired a new general manager, Rand Cartham, and I remember this guy when when his name started being bandied about, I remember him as a player and looked him up and he was the running back on those Ron Zook Florida teams 20 years ago. I'm glad to see some diversity. We've not, that I can remember, had a a black general manager or head coach. So I'm glad to see them looking out that way. But ultimately, we want to hire the right guy. People that come from really good programs and the 49ers are a really well thought of program. They've developed some really good late round guys. I'm hopeful. I like that we kind of went outside uh, for the hire. Let's start with you, Lynn. What do you think of Rand Carthon? Any one of the 49ers guys would have been my pick because you look at the roster they've built, just top to bottom in every single way you can possibly build a really, really good team. They've done it. They've hit on their top picks in Nick Bosa. They've drafted and developed guys like Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, Talano Hufanga, and then Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, and trades with Trent Williams, and then now Christian McCaffrey. Just, they've proven that you they've done it in every single way possible. Yes, Kyle Shanahan helps, but they give him... 
all the tools he needs to succeed. And that's really what we've been missing because J-Rob was very hot and cold. He was a big swing and a miss guy. Like 2019, he hit in every single possible way. After that, he just kept missing and missing and missing. The 49ers, they have pl- they've had their misses. They drafted several running backs in the third and fourth rounds before finding a guy off the street that's better than them. And then they cut the guy a year later with uh, like with Trey Sermon, who they cut one year in as a third round pick. And then this year with Tyrion Davis Price, who doesn't play at all, partially because they got Christian McCaffrey. But you take that because you look at across the board, they don't really miss. They don't, they might have some underwhelming picks like Javon Kinlaw doesn't amaze me for the 13th pick and Mike Buglinchi is kind of eh, but they don't miss miss. They don't have any picks where it's like, woof, that guy is out well, of the league. Those guys aren't waste of stars, pick. but they are high floor guys on offensive defensive line. Yeah. And I think that's a philosophy. And I honestly welcome that philosophy. Go yeah, ahead. they don't have any Isaiah Wilson's or Caleb Farley's or Raiden's. They consistently find good players, especially in the later rounds of the draft, which was J Rob's strong suit. And they've been really good at making trades for either disgruntled stars or under the radar guys. And I'm just really excited because like the 49ers, as far as team building goes, them and Philly are the two best blueprints to take from across the league just because top to bottom at every single position, they've hit in every single way you can. Big fella, what do you think of Carthon? And what do you think of the logic of cherry picking from teams that have had a lot of recent success in the front office? I like it. Like Landon said, I mean, it's hard to not like somebody who had some responsibility for that 49ers team. They're built really well. You know, he he's kind of cut his teeth on that floor and, and he knows what it takes. He's like you said, he's played in the league. He knows what it takes to be in the league. So I really like it. I, I think it's innovative. I think it's different. I was really terrified we were going to stay in-house and just do something very uninspiring. So I'm glad that we didn't. You know, I was reading some reports and I think one of the big reasons why Amy was Amy Adams was such a big fan of it is because during his interview, he pretty much professed to her that, hey, we don't have to rebuild to win a Super Bowl. And I think when we talk about the window and how it's, it's closed and I think giving the perception that it's still open and I think it I think it could be, you know, that you want to still work with that. I think that kind yeah. of makes you a natural fit that you don't have to blow it up and I'm not do your ready own to blow thing. it up. I'm glad to no. see that. Well, I think it says a lot to him too, right? Because he's yeah. he's fine, you know, kind of working with what somebody else started yeah, to create. Accepting that risk, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, obviously, we do have players. Are, like I know we talk, we used to talk about it all the time. Where uh, like when we were able to watch the turnaround, we started to finally have players that other teams would want. It started with Jarrell Casey and then Delaney Walker and. You know, slowly but surely, you know, we end up seeing guys leaving free agency to go somewhere else and sign big deals. And I think that kind of talks about where we are as a team. And even though our season didn't go as we wanted to, there are still a lot of players who would be starters on other teams. And I think, you know, somebody being open to that and not having to put their own stamp on it, um, you know, can do a lot of good. Yeah, I think there's a window and some things have to go kind of exactly right. But if they're aggressive and they hit their marks this offseason, I think they could be back to being uh, a playoff team with a little juice like we were the, the two prior seasons. And honestly, I'm not, I think we use this 11th pick as leverage and try to get a, a guy that can be an impact player sooner than later at a premium position and kind of go from there. We see other teams do it. I don't know why we couldn't. It's clear that Derrick Henry is not out of gas. I mean, he was really good on behind a very bad offensive line. And I don't think Tannehill is our problem. And I think if they, they'll make a play-calling selection around his strengths this time. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we are have uh, two-tone colored blue glasses, but you see where this team's got a little more toothpaste less than, left in the tube. Yeah. All right, guys. 
announced this week the Titans will be playing in London. We're going to lose that ninth home game that teams now get every other year. What did you think of that, big fella? I texted you guys this earlier. I have no problem with, you know, us playing in London. I have no problem giving up a home game. It's exciting. You know, we get to push our brand across the pond and it's cool. And, you know, maybe in a crazy scenario, we'd end up going and, you know, maybe we will. Who knows? Um, what I don't like is the fact that we are playing the Bills in London and we are giving up a home game against the Bills. I, I know I don't have to remind you guys how electric it was last year on Monday night when we had the Bills here. We went there this season and got smoked. So I want to play a team like the Bills at home with our fans, in our crowd, in our atmosphere. I don't really want to play it in London and have to wake up. I mean, it's awesome to wake up at 830 and watch that game if we're here in the States. But I kind of am a little upset at the the pairing. Uh, Normally, they send less competitive teams over to London and... You yeah, know, we fine. can't play Jacksonville over there. <laughs> right, exactly. Although, I mean, even Jacksonville right now, maybe uh, they've been over there a ton over the last couple of years. So maybe that's the advantage would be to them. And I'd love to play Houston there. I would love to do something like that and beat the tar out of them across the pond. But uh, yeah, I kind of don't want to give up the home game against Buffalo. But other than that, I think it's cool. We played in London, was that 2018? And, uh, you know, we know a lot of people that went there. A lot of a lot of the guys in Two-Tone Blue Nation were there and, you know, representing us well. We had some other friends there and it just looks really, really cool. I've seen a lot of people on Facebook and Instagram sharing memories from that 2018 game in London and the time they had there and all the NFL former stars that they've met and, you know, kind of what the league is doing. And I think it's great they're doing this international series. You know, I just kind of wish they wouldn't have taken away our premier game at home. Yeah, that's a tough one to lose. Um, we The Titans don't play particularly pretty anyways, even when we're good. And those London games are generally pretty ugly. <laughs> so, you know, I just remember that eight, 2018 game just being like foggy camera, raining <laughs> games yeah. and we played like it too. We're going to talk about this all winter and spring. Let's start. We have the 11th pick. There is silver lining to us absolutely crumpling down the stretch. If we'd have won that game and we'd have been a sacrificial lamb last week, I don't know, maybe we would have beat the Chargers. I don't know. We're 10 selections higher than we would have been. We have the 11th pick. We also have the 42nd pick because <laughs> the stupid um, uh, Miami Dolphins uh, forfeited their pick. So really, I count those two. They're, we should get a good player at 42. Any positions or any players jump out to you this early on? Before you get into that take, Land, would you be willing to thank Todd Downing for this 11th pick? Yeah, I guess, I mean, sure, yeah. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for being so bad we lost seven straight games. Because, I mean, I guess, like, thanks for play calling as bad as you did. Because, obviously, you aren't good enough for us to win a playoff game. Even though the Chargers, I'm sure, would have found a way to charge that game against us. Still, I, I don't trust Todd Downing. This wasn't a case of our team was just really hurt by injuries, but we have a good play caller who works around those injuries and makes something happen. No, Todd Downing's an idiot. So, yeah, <laughs> thanks, Todd Downing. Thanks for just sucking as much as you did because at least you didn't sabotage us on the way out by getting us into the playoffs just for us to get beaten up on national TV. Big fella, you're not supposed to mention a person right after the funeral. It's like, there's got to be... I, I it's know. It's too soon. It's just too soon. You know soon. me. I'm a bull in a china shop. I don't really follow normal order, so I had to. Well, Landon, let's, let's move... Let's move on for Todd Downing as best we can and talk about 11 and 42. At 11, the first round, it pretty much has to be offensive tackle because on some Bustin' with the Boys podcast with Lawan has mentioned that he's down to around 270 pounds right now. And so that really sounds like he's going to hang it up. And we've talked about this 
off the show, just the, the back-to-back ACL tears two years apart, starting from when the first one happened, and then all the issues he had in 2021, he missed three or four games where he was healthy coming into the week. He came into warm-ups, he tweaked something, he didn't feel right, he sat out that game. Just so, after the first one, he was having trouble coming back, then he tore it again this year, right at the start of the season. He would have been taking a major discount or been cut either way, given how injured he's been, how expensive he is. But either way, we're going to need a new left tackle. It's definitely not going to be Dennis Daly. And it's de- and unless we pay one of the few intriguing options in the free agency market like Andre Dillard former first round pick maybe he's got something in the tank we just take a gamble on him other than a guy like that it has to come through the draft has to come at 11 and the guy that stands out to me has to be Paris Johnson the Ohio State left tackle because he is the only of the top offensive lineman he is the only true offensive tackle where there are no questions about his size his length his athleticism his just nastiness he is the off- he is the best offensive lineman in this draft, and my only fear is even though he isn't an elite elite prospect, like he's not Sewell, he's not Slater, he's not those other guys that go top five. We would never have a chance at. My fear is even though he's not that level of prospect, he's still really good, and so many teams need offensive linemen. Someone will just take him anyway because. He's gonna be a pre- he's gonna be pretty solid anyway, and that's at yeah, eight. You, he plays you hard. He's like, a mountain of a man. Yeah. He does. Looks like he would have a high floor. Yeah, like I've seen people. He's a pretty popular mock draft pick at seven to the Raiders, who really need offensive line help, and that yeah. pick makes a lot of sense. Their offensive line is really bad. They need a solid offensive lineman. Even if yeah, Paris think, Johnson isn't an also, yeah. isn't a superstar, he's still going to be an anchor on one side of your offensive line for a long time. Yeah, we and, need just something. Yeah. We just need a guy who belongs out there physically at this point. There's just no way that we can't really have a game plan. I would think we need to just take the best. We never know if these guys are good or not. He looks the part. Skaronski, the, the left tackle from Northwestern, he was really good from the day he got on campus. He's 6'4". I think he's about... 300. He's not very big at all. I watched a lot of tape on him. He is an absolute technician. And I think that he has a high floor. He does not fit what we have done historically. And uh, he is not really great at the run game. He's a really good pass protector. If we take him, I'll be happy, but it won't be a fit. Now, the Raiders, he would be a better fit for the Raiders. He can be a nasty player, and he's good. He's just not... He he was recruited as a center. Really, he should be... His future should be as the best center in the NFL. But if you guys notice, there's not that many good left tackles. And he's good enough to play left tackle. So... I, I think he's just getting pushed out there and stay out there because he is so technically sound. But Paris Johnson well, is not – Paris Johnson is just so big and physical. He looks more like a Titan now. He's got a lot to learn. Seems like a guy that would want to learn it. I, I just want – John, I just can't handle what we had last year. It just can't happen. No. I'm okay with a risk. We cannot do that again. No, we can't do that again. But I, I think – Correct me if I'm wrong, but there have been some smaller left tackles that have come out recently that are more technicians. I think Rashawn yeah. Slater, he was he was smaller, right? And but he's bigger than yeah, Skaronsky. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that. the most talented guys, they used to still be inside. But now I just think there's such a dearth of guys that can do it that I, I think like you're seeing shorter quarterbacks. You're seeing really guys that are in a guard's body that, that just make it work because it's not like it used to be. How many really good left tackles can you name? Like five or six? I used to could name 12 or 13. Yeah, I mean, you look at the – Orlando Paces of the world and you know all the all the guys like that were like you you're saying there were like a billion of them. There's they only one guy like that. on that level now and it's Trent Williams. There's only one guy in the NFL that's really I think like a surefire Hall of Fame left tackle that's playing. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I mean, you like the Ronnie Stanley from Baltimore and he's had some injury stuff, but he had I like him a lot, had, but he's just above average. 
Yeah. Yeah, he he had been really good, but he had a really, really, really bad leg or foot injury that just totally derailed his career. Like, he didn't play for two years, pretty much. I'd say the main thing with Skronsky is the combine and the measurements are going to make or break him for me. Because I do agree, like, he is really safe. He's really solid, really good pass protector. But I guess, like, gets in the right spot more than he's strong. And for us, that just doesn't really make any sense because if he has to kick inside a guard because he's too short or too light or doesn't have long enough arms, he can't be what he is right now as a run blocker. He has to be nasty for to play guard for us. But if his arms are just long enough, they can play tackle. I would be fine with him there. But just watching it on tape, you can definitely see like even more than Slater. Like he looks short armed and looks. Oh light. yeah, Slater is bigger and more powerful. They're similar players. Well, let me ask you this too, and not to take the focus off of the draft but do you think having carthon as our gm like does that attract more tackle talent like is there a chance for mcglinchy who becomes a free agent to come out i mean i know he played right tackle or maybe we'll take anything but mcglinchy as landon said earlier is not had a great nfl career but he's he's a heck of a lot better than what we have i do wonder since petite freer he played left tackle his final season i wonder if depending on how the draft breaks down and how free agency goes i wonder if he might get a chance at left tackle since he had been really poor at right tackle well, I think if we were going to kick him over, we would have done that in the season. Yeah, but season. I just wonder, like, you kick him over at left tackle, and then you have to find a guy at right tackle, and they're both having to learn new positions, and just that would make the line even worse, I think. I think we talked about it. I think you, I think Dylan Radin should have had more opportunities at left tackle. Yeah, he I think should. that's if his he's natural gonna position. Be out there, he should be out there at left tackle. He doesn't not strong enough, and he doesn't belong being a guard. He's similar to what like Skaronsky. Like Skaronsky's best attributes will be hidden at guard, so he's just going to be a smaller left tackle. He'll be a good one. He will be a good one. I think he'll go before eleven. Because uh, if you got a pass happy team, I think he'll be better. I, he just doesn't fit. We we still want to be maulers and stuff, so he's not a fit for us. He'll be good. I think he's never going to be better than the fifth left tackle in the league. Now I would take that. I would take fifteenth after last year. But we can take a guy and take a gamble on a guy who really. I mean, the Titans as much as any team, Ravens, Steelers, whatever. We have a mold for positions. We don't have little quarterbacks, and we don't have. We have really athletic, really big left tackles, and we have big mauler right tackles. That that is what we have done. Oh, and and I, so you, I just think Scronsi doesn't fit there. Bigfell, you talked about if we could finally attract some Frasian offensive linemen. Lawan also alluded to on one of the recent podcasts that Keith Carter, who also got fired on Black Monday last week, he alluded to the fact that Keith Carter was really not liked as an offensive line coach. And he's been, Keith Carter was in the doghouse for a lot of fans for the past several years. It sounds like he was the same with the players. And from what I understand, like, they, they, they practiced too hard. He was too hard on them, like, physically, just demanding, like, just the wear and tear, why these guys have been injured so much. That had to do with part of it. And I do think just not having that guy, because Lawan mentioned that some of the guys that were, like, on practice squads or on the street waiting for a call-up opportunity... They reached out to him, and those guys declined because they felt they had a better opportunity where they were, or just waiting because of Keith Carter being the offensive line coach here. Yeah, I've seen some of those reports too, and there's truth to that, right? I mean, these guys aren't college kids where you can kind of push them around. They're sometimes older than the coaches. I mean, they're adults making millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Like, you got to treat them like that. I think the technique and the coaching is more important on the offensive line and defensive line than it is anywhere in the NFL. Maybe defensive back. Just the technical stuff and just all that goes into that. I just You see teams pretty well have a good offensive line just, despite their resources they put into it a lot. 
And I think a long-term relationship with a not just one person, you know, an offensive line staff. And maybe Rand Carthon will really look at that. He knows what a great left tackle looks like. He and other people in that staff were really aggressive to go get Trent Williams when he hadn't played in like two years. So maybe they can think outside of the box, but maybe they'll look holistically as like, you mentioned, well, Petite Freer, they didn't give him a chance. Well, that, it's, a, it's a different regime now. So maybe they, as they should, rethink everything. That was a big thing you had, big fella, about John Robinson. Is like, he was not out of the box. He was not thinking. He was okay with Daly. Like, you should be turning over every everything to try to find something better than that. We, we just, he was so lackadaisical. You, would, you try to get guys that are retired off the street. That was an absolute disaster. Yep. Maybe Carthon has more urgency, and maybe they have a bigger picture. For sure. Yeah, I'm really interested in who we hire as the new offensive line coach because outside of head coach and the coordinator jobs, I think it's easily the most impactful and important position on the coaching staff because you talked about you can either have a good offensive line to the resources you put in or the coaching or some mix of both. Like the Dallas Cowboys the past couple years in the mid-teens at their peak, they had three first-round picks. Lyle Collins who would have been a first-round pick, but then he fell due to a scandal off the field. That was talent. They probably had good coaching too, but three first round picks and a guy that would have been a day two pick at worst. That's going to be a pretty good offensive line unless they're all just colossal busts. Or you're like the Patriots when they had Skarnakia forever, where whenever he left, they would fall apart. When whenever he came back, they were suddenly good again. And they never drafted guys early. They always found guys from smaller schools in the mid rounds of late rounds. And they always had a really, really good offensive line. And it was because of the coaching. Yeah. I agree. I've seen, you know, I think it's a Titans pipe dream, but I've seen a lot of people post the uh, about Mike Munchak. I think, you know, obviously he's the relationship with him is just kind of been. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of where I'm going. I mean, you can't have somebody as a former head coach and then ask them to come coach your offensive line as as great as it would be. I just don't think that relationship works in our history. And I wish it could be. You see that happen rarely, but I don't know. He's got a pretty good gig. Yeah. Well, guys, so at 42, we... In 2019, Landon mentioned that draft. Best player available and need met when A.J. Brown was available at 51. So I think a lot of people are going to clamor for a receiver. We need, obviously, we've got to revive our explosiveness on the perimeter. It would be great if a guy was just sitting there like we see in the early 40s. At 42, a good receiver we can develop alongside Traylon Burks. Landon, do you think that guy will be around? Uh, we have seen so many good receivers come out in the last five years. Obviously, the draft philosophy depends on what we do in free agency. But right now, I haven't looked too, too deep into the receiver class outside of just some service level stuff on the top guys. But I would almost rather double dip at offensive line than take a receiver in the second round. Because, I mean, we talk about every year, just the quantity of athletic, talented receivers is just growing and growing and growing. You can find them at every level. And it's just a matter of finding the right guy taking a chance and it working out because to me just the second round guys they're all very flawed more than more so than usual to me it's like in the past like you mentioned 2019 the aj brown draft debo samuel awesome dk metcalf awesome aj brown awesome it's not like well he's really he's skinny or he's short or he's really soft in terms of catching over the middle it's like no these guys are awesome they fell for whatever reason and that draft was really the last time you can really say that because the NFL as a collective got slapped on the head like, hey, when a guy checks all the boxes, is phys- has all the physical tools produced and looks the part, you just take them. You don't take the guy who has the super fast 40-yard dash or the guy who catches the jump balls 
You take the guy that plays football the best and has all the tools necessary. And so those guys don't really fall anymore. So like the guys in the second round, obviously every UT, UT fan would love for Jalen Hyatt. He would be the best possible option, but he's going to be a late first rounder probably due to his vertical threat. And even then, I would just kind of feel iffy about him because he's a guy who worked solely in space. You watch him at UT, very little man coverage, press coverage, lots of easy releases where he's just pretty much, he's running a track meet. Are we going to do that? Is the NFL going to allow that to happen? I don't think so. Then it's a bunch of small guys that are kind of slot only. And just to me, I would rather double up on offensive linemen, get a talented tackle round one, get another, get a talented interior lineman round two, because I still think Ben Jones is going to retire. And even then we still need to replace left guard. Double up at linemen. You take some chances at receiver. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown, fourth round pick. Stephon Diggs, fifth round pick. You get a guy that can play and test well enough, and you just take a chance because so many guys coming out now are can play the position. Our problem was that for every reason, we we seem to be the only team whose who's backups weren't athletically gifted. Like Nick Westbrook-Akine and Hollister and, and uh, whoever the really, really small guy, Batson. Like our backups were like stiffs or big lumbering slow guys are really small guys that were just fast enough. Other teams have these super interesting athletes and they're fast, they're explosive. And like the Giants, they pick up Isaiah Hodgins off the street. He's, or off the practice squad. He's been really good. The problem isn't the quantity. It's not like offensive line when it's like, oh God, we have to get this one guy. We have to reach on a guy because we just can't find anyone else. It's, can you find the right players for the right scheme and make them work? Well, and remember too, if all things go well, we should also have Kyle Phillips um, you know, on yeah, our roster. I mean, we didn't yeah, see him all season. Yeah, I, and I was super high on him. It's just, he's a slot only. He's limited. We really need that vertical threat, I think, to opposite Burks, if Burks is going to be that all-around guy or an all-around guy, if Burks is going to be the more vertical threat. My thing is just, with some of these guys, like Hyatt and Josh Downs from North Carolina, who has been getting a lot of buzz as an early second-round pick, my thing with them is their slot only or just them being on the outside seems really tricky to evaluate. And but the other option is you put Phillips out there or we just don't consider Phillips. He's more the YC or four. It's just, it's just hard to figure out. And for me, I would rather just double that offensive line because a solid offensive line, Derrick Henry, Tannehill, Burks, Chigakonkwo, that has enough. And then you just need guys that aren't stiffs on the outside and you can make it work. You can be well enough. I think it was so bad along our offensive line. I think our fan base, which normally a fan base would not find that fun at all. I think our fan base would clamor for that. Oh, I think they already are clamoring for, for, well, I think they're clamoring for um, Jalen Hyatt for sure. But uh, Landon, I like your idea. Yeah, he's so I, explosive. But he seems yeah. fragile, and only Tyreek Hill gets away with just running over past everybody. And he's a tough physical football player, so I think Hyatt's got that. But he is a bit of a risk for sure. As funny as he is, he was so fun in Orange. Yeah, I would be. I would be super excited for him, and I wouldn't be opposed to it. My thing is just for the things I generally look at receiver, just he has so many of those red flags that just makes me really iffy, especially because yeah, receiver is a need, but it's not like it's not it's a big need, but it's not a glaring need. It's not like we have to draft a guy with one of our first two picks. Like offensive tackle, if we take a receiver round one, we can't not take an offensive tackle round two. That's not what, necessarily um, the case for a receiver. What do you guys think, uh, you know, potentially at forty two, what do you think about a guy like Osiris Torrance out of Florida? He should I think be there. I think he'll go before that for sure. I think he's he'll he'll probably be the top pure guard. And those guys have definitely been sneaking into yeah. the first round, if not being an outright twenties pick. And yeah. I, so just 
That would just be a pipe dream. Maybe he falls into the early second and we trade up, but I wouldn't get excited about Torrance just because, putting aside the fact that he's the best guard just on a, on a play basis, he's like 6'5", 350. Yeah, and NFL teams are gonna that. NFL teams are going to fall over themselves drafting a guy like that. A guy who not only has that frame and carries it well, but produced in the SEC, played really well. He's going to be a first-round pick. Well, it used to be that good guards made it to free agency. Very few of them do anymore. So you, you just see... A good guy with some projection, they go in the late teens now where they used to go 50. So it is really, they're just not a lot of really good linemen coming out. We've talked about that before. The schemes in college, these guys are playing other things or want to play defensive tackle or basketball or whatever. And you just don't see a lot of technicians because I think the spread offense mainly. So if he's that big and he's moving and and they bet him out well, we'll see him in the first round. Yeah. Now, one guy that kind of fills that void between another offensive lineman and a receiver type who I don't think will be there because I think well he's my tight end one for the draft I don't expect that to change I would I would do anything for him to be in two-tone blue Darnell Washington the gigantic tight end from Georgia if he's there at 42 I don't I don't see how you can't pass on him unless the medicals just come out bad because he's had some injuries but he's legitimately a mini he's a mini tackle out there in run blocking and he's sneakily athletic for a guy that gigantic and he fits our philosophy perfectly he's an extra he's pretty much a six offensive lineman blocking he is music to my ears land yeah (laughs) the thing is his production is really really low but that's because he plays next to brock bowers his entire career and brock bowers is unreal He's the he's probably going to be the best tight end prospect I've ever seen. Bowers was unbelievable as a true freshman last year. Michael Mayer, of course, the the Notre Dame tight end that had a, a illustrative career. I, I think he's going to be good, not great. Uh, he is really tough and he blocks hard. He's going to have to learn to finish tackles. Of course, I've watched a lot of him. I like Notre Dame. He'll go before, so that might help Washington drop to forty two. Yeah, you don't hopefully. see a ton of tight ends go. So that is believable. You're talking about six tack. You're talking about a third tackle on the field. You, you know, I'm sold. And Washington is athletic and big and plays the game well. The way a guy like that goes at 42 is he's a bit overshadowed. I I mean, big fella, I'm not a big tight end early guy. That sounds amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, All right, just well, put on the historically you watch a couple games ball. and you I will mean, be singing his praises like I am. I know, but I, I just, you know, as much as, we, as much as he sounds great, I just can't get on board with a tight end that early, especially when we have something, I think, pretty special in Chig, obviously. Well, that's the thing. They can easily both play because yeah. Chig can be a slot receiver. It's a Titans. Washington is definitely an inline guy. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. My thinking is with those two is they cover for each other really well, and yeah. for the most part, you can play them both on the field at the same time. Because yeah, we play Chig at tight end. We play Chig at fullback, so I'm at regular tight end. Yeah. Washington is mainly inline, but he lines up as a gigantic slot occasionally. They can both fit. And the thing you mentioned with Mayor Nathan, Mayor feels he feels like he is what he is. Like he's gonna be really yeah, solid. He's, he's that really guy good. who got everything he had. He plays a little tight. Now he's gonna be good, but I but think where, he'll be but more like the room Kyle for Rudolph. Growth. Yeah, he'll be more like Kyle Rudolph. With, I think yeah, Washington, with Darnell Washington, the room for growth is the his entire receiving tree and just yeah. opportunity because he gets like two targets a game at Georgia because they don't throw a ton and because Bowers is awesome. But you just look on the field, you watch the tape, you watch the replay. There are so many plays where he gets a linebacker on his hip, he gets a cornerback, just he's towering over them. Over the middle of the field, there's no one in front of him. You would think with a guy that big and his hands, his hands make the ball disappear. Like they stab it and it goes away. Like the brown disappears. You just see the black of the gloves. You would think Benson, Stetson Bennett should try that more often. Just throw it up to your six seven guy against a six foot cornerbacker, a slow linebacker. Because he's a little slow out of the gate just because the inertia of a guy 6'7", 270, it takes a little while to get going. 
But when he gets going, he just strides down the field. He just wasn't tested. It wasn't like he was a stiff that never got open. He was just never tested. And just he unlocks so many opportunities. He has so much potential. Tight end is a traits thing, like Chig. A guy that runs a 4 or 5 2. You take him, even though he didn't produce a ton. You make it figure out. The guys that are that produce really well and are really solid and really good, those are fine, but they are what they are. You want potential. You want a guy like Darnell Washington who looks well, like Johnny Smith. Yeah, Johnny Smith, who became really, really good before New England wasted in the past couple of years. You want Darnell Washington, who could be the best blocking tight end in the NFL and a plus receiver and a guy who, in the red zone, changes the entire dynamic of literally everything because not only can he knock a defensive end into the ground and open up a hole for Henry, not only can he go over the middle and... Not only can he go over the middle and catch a jump ball for a touchdown, not only can you line him up as a big slot, you throw a screen to receiver and some poor defensive backer, linebacker, is getting blasted away by him. It's just opening up so much many opportunities and that's why I don't think he will be there because just the potential of this guy like he is a one-of-one talent and I would pray he is there at 42. Well you never know I I know I'm usually not on board for uh, Toddy in really the first two days I think they can still be developed but when you talk about a guy that's already 270 pounds we we use Janu who was not near that big we use Janu blocking I think he did a lot for Derrick Henry I would love to see us return to that we talked earlier about how Skronsky isn't a fit for us. A, a big blocking first tight end that develops down the road. Now, that is a Titan fit. Uh, picking him at 42, maybe not. I think the only first round tight end we've ever had was Ditka in like 1960 when we were in Houston. But of course, you know, ESPN projects that we'll pick a tight end every year, but we don't. It will be interesting to see if Rand Carthon, he's had a really good physical late bloomer in George Kittle. If maybe we think out of the box there, I think we got three months to think about it and talk about it. And I am psyched for that. All right, guys, let's talk about, I've still really enjoyed it. Maybe it's because we lost seven in a row and I was able to have closure, but I I enjoyed last weekend a lot. Some really good games. I feel like this weekend and the matchups, we never know until the games get played and hopefully they're competitive, but it's just four just terrific matchups. I'm super excited. This is an NFL fan. So we're going to spend our last few minutes talking, previewing these games. I bet you guys are all be watching at home. Let's start with um, the AFC South team that's in. Jacksonville Jaguar. Gutsy game, came back trevor lawrence showed me a lot i've seen quarterbacks josh allen other guys in history fall apart you don't see a guy throw four interceptions or whatever and hang in there he has a lot to learn i still wonder what his ceiling is but he is a mentally tough guy i was really impressed with that of course landon used charger as a verb they chargered out there and it was not pretty even then landon do you think jacksonville has a shot in kansas city this weekend they do because Kansas City's defense, I am not that high on. Their offense has been really good, but down the stretch, they weren't really dominating in wins like they should be because this team is 14 and 3 they're the one seed with an asterisk next to it they have the mvp in the homes but it doesn't feel like a, a juggernaut it's not in the past you would think like oh a 13 and 3 14 and 3 team best offense in the best offense in the league best quarterback in the league mvp best tight end all this stuff you would and then like a 9 and 8 jags team that had to come back from 27 down against a team that is known for choking you would think oh this is going to be an uphill battle this is going to be like dolphins bills last week where everything has to go right for 
the Jags just to have a chance at this. But I don't think so. My one worry is that this game was already played earlier this year in Kansas City. The Chiefs won pretty handedly, but that was before Lawrence really exploded down the stretch. So I do think Jacksonville has a chance because their secondary has some good pieces. I, I do love Tyson Campbell. Lawrence has been playing out of his mind. He has so many weapons. I Like I said, don't love the Chiefs defense. It is possible because... The Chiefs, I mean, they played so many, they played plenty of close games down the stretch that in the playoffs, one thing goes the other way. You push, you're stressing a little more. I mean, it's, it's possible. The line right now is Kansas City minus 8.5. I would definitely take the Jags for that because I do think after a game like last week, when you go from 27 down, four interceptions in the first half, five interceptions, five turnovers total in the first half when your season is crumbling before you eyes you come back and you win in front of your home crowd just that emotional momentum carries with you and they're in a similar spot to where we were in 2019 where we have a shocking win us because we beat a really good team on the road them because they came back for 27 down you have the momentum you're going on the road to the one seed with the mvp no one believes in you you have nothing to lose. You're expected. You're expected to lose. You're playing loose. What do you think, Big Fella? You give the Jags a chance in KC? I don't want to, but I do. Like you guys are saying, Lawrence has looked really well, and I think we've all been texting back and forth whenever we have to, you know, either by obligation because we're playing them or in the playoffs watching the Jags. Lawrence does throw a pretty great ball when he's got time. That's something to watch, and the way that he's using Evan Ingram is something that we haven't seen Evan Ingram able to do. He's looking like an all pro tight end out there and you know i think they definitely have a shot and the other thing that i also am always just like kind of blown away at the speed that etn can get up to i mean man that dude is quick when he's got room and i think that could really spell trouble for the chiefs now we've seen the chiefs even this year they're able to score in you know 18 seconds so I think it's going to be a tight game both ways, as long as Jacksonville doesn't come out flat. We've come out flat. We know how that game goes. We've seen other teams come out flat. We know how those games go. So as long as Jacksonville can not beat themselves, I think they definitely have a puncher's chance. Uh, I mean, you know, we're talking about Andy Reid and Doug Peterson, two pretty great coaches that have won Super Bowls. And I think it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be fun. Like you said earlier, I mean, literally all four games, we watched some pretty awesome games last weekend. I think we're going to be outdone this weekend. You mentioned Peterson. If the Jags head coach were anyone else, I think I wouldn't really give the Jags a chance. But Peterson, like you said, he's a really good coach. He is innovative and he calls some crazy wild stuff with a game on the line. And his teams always come out and perform. Obviously, Lawrence had a first half meltdown last week. But otherwise, you look at his track record in the playoffs. He has never had a bad game. 2017, they win it all with Nick Foles. 2018, they beat the Bears on the road. They go to the Saints. They're driving down the field. They have a chance to win the game. Alshon Jeffrey drops the ball, interception. And after that, they kind of, the next year was the worst year for Wentz, and then he got fired. And they came back this year and he had the Chargers game. But Peterson's teams have never laid an egg in the playoffs, and they always play it tough. And especially when they're on the road, going against a good team, they have fought tooth and nail and gone down to the very last minute. Well, I think it's one thing too, Lynn, that you're kind of hinting at. I think Peterson is that official definition of a player's coach where players love to coach, love to play for him because I think he trusts players and he doesn't give up on them. Like, yeah, we're in the Super Bowl. You want to run the Philly special? 
Why not? Let's do it. And, you know, the fact that Trevor Lawrence threw four picks and then was able to rebound. He's like, yeah, you you can get this. You're very talented. We've got a team around you. We're going to give you the opportunities. We're going to do it. And we're going to do things unconventionally. I think... Like you, like you said, that the fourth down call to get them within field goal range to win the game. Yeah. Like, I, I subscribe to the conspiracy theory that he purposely called that timeout and they bluffed that first play to where they made it Chargers think, oh, we're going to the right on this play. Oh, we showed our hand we're not gonna go right again then they go with i want to say it was three backs behind lawrence one on each side one directly behind him it's obviously going to be a quarterback sneak because lawrence is gigantic it's fourth and one nope it's a fourth and one run again and just the ballsiness just the willingness not to go with the conservative scared play call of oh we only need one yard let's just run up the middle and hope we get it it's no we're going for the kill we're trying to win this game i trust my best player to my best running back to make this play i'm gonna do it and just playing not playing to win and not to lose is something that really can just galvanize the team and push you forward because when you're when you know like hey we get this play it's over it's not oh we get this play we have to do these two more plays get in the field range and then we win the game it's no I execute here. I do my job. I pop this 25-yard run. It's over. And that's just big. Like, when we played the Ravens, we didn't play not to lose. We played to win. We called the freaking Henry jump pass, and it worked out. (laughs) And just from a player emotional, like, an energy perspective, you want to run fun, interesting plays. You don't want to run Todd Downing's offense. You don't want to have... Like, we could see it every single time. When our offense tried it out there, and they knew they are going to call... Todd Downing had called some bullshit run up the middle. You could just see how blah they were. But when you're when you're running fun plays, when you're throwing the ball out of the field, when you're doing crazy shit, players will play harder because it's playing sports is fun. Yes, you want to win, it's competitive, it's nerve-wracking, but at the end of the day, especially when you're a pro, nothing is more fun showing on a national stage for a national audience just how good you are. Well, I think he acknowledges it's a game, you know, and, and players respond well to that because it is a game. You know, these guys get paid millions and millions of dollars and we paid a ton of money to watch them play a game. So I think Peterson remembers that and, you know, he kind of, you know, lives by that motto and they do stuff that's unconventional. We're going to hear a lot about Jacksonville and we have. And and Peterson, it's interesting how a guy can look so much different from one year to the next. I I thought that was a bit of a retread. I was wrong. He was exactly what they needed. We talked about that on the last podcast. Kudos to them. The players coach thing is true. He's a former player. And when Trevor Lawrence says, we were three and seven, and he said, we're going to have a chance to win this division and believe it. I mean, that's that's what you want. You guys said so well. Football can be fun. It should be fun, even if you're making a lot of money and you have a lot of pressure. It's still football. And they seem to be having fun. Speaking of fun, Giants, Philly. The Giant don't hold now because the Giants have teased us before, but this team has a lot of young talent. And you think, oh, they're going to be good. They've got Dexter Lawrence and they got Thibodeau on the defensive line. Um, Dory, sadly. They got a Dory. They've got, okay, so I know Evan Neal has some work to do, but Andrew Thomas did too, and he's played very, very well. They've got a bright future. Danny Dimes looks like he could have a Joe Flacco type part of his career. I know he's a different type player, but you don't see guys figure it out, but he's figured it out. He looked obviously excellent. We'll see. But then you think, well, why can't they win this game? Philly, like Kansas City, has looked vulnerable. Big fella, are, are we gonna? Is that the upset this weekend? Are we gonna see the Giants going to Philly? I think out of all the three games, all four games, it's got the the most likely upset factor of it. I don't think it's gonna happen. I think it'll be way closer than anybody gives them credit for because of what you're saying. I mean, Dable has instilled the confidence in this team to play like they've never played before, especially Danny Dimes. And Landon mentioned it earlier. Dory Jackson, one of our own, has played like a top quarterback. Um, I mean, he. 
He basically shut out Justin Jefferson. And I mean, we know how hard that is to do. And let alone the that one of our former guys was able to do it. Um, I, You know me, I've always loved Dory Jackson. And I kind of was a little aggravated the way that things ended here in Tennessee, where we were extending his fifth year option. And then we cut him and it was strange and, and didn't work out well. And I think he lost a lot of his confidence when he got injured and never gained it back. But I'm glad to see he's playing so well. And I'm glad to see that he's on a team that's relevant in the playoffs right now because he deserves to be there. And he's played really, really well. And, you know, they have a lot of guys like you're talking about. You know, the Dexter Lawrences, the Kayvon Thibodeaus, the Andrew Thomas, and, and Saquon Barkley having a revitalization after you know, after being injured and who knew if he was ever going to get back. And he's always exciting to watch. I, for one, am going to watch this game and really enjoy it. Um, now, I've, you know, kind of given the Giants their flowers, but, you know, the Eagles are my number two team. And I, I think they are so super talented from top to bottom. Best offensive line in football, incredible defense. You know, best they've got line in football, best it, quarterback duo, easily. duo in football. Yep. Arguably best wide receiver duo in football. On paper, it's it's very clear. But, you know, one thing that we we experienced last year that number one seed taking that week off it could hurt a lot of people if you don't prepare the right way i'd like to think they do and you know they're steve steichen is no todd downing i will say, <laughs> I, I i'm pretty confident in saying that i i do too i i really do too and obviously their game you know including from jalen hurts is running the football and that's what we see and you know they are also super creative so i i have a lot of confidence and one thing we do know about philly that crowd is going to be like is going to be unlike any other um i mean it's been a while since they hosted a playoff game let alone a, a number one seed so yeah playing I expect, giants of all yeah. teams too oh right a, a team they've already played a team they've already played twice this year uh, i mean it's going to be insane landon you're drinking the kool-aid on the giants i know you're not expecting them to win per se but they have a bright future and it might be starting this weekend yeah I, I don't know i want to believe in them but that's also just i love dable i've become a huge danny dimes fan which is really weird considering where i stunned him early in his career <laughs> But well, I remember I remember Danny Dimes from the 2019 draft. You know, obviously he was here in Nashville. I remember walking across that bridge, and literally he was standing there at his own autograph booth, just begging people to to stand in line to take his picture, take a picture with him. And I was like, oh my god, that guy's going to get drafted in the first round, and he's just sitting there like a goof. Uh, man, don't we look dumb? We should have got a picture with him. Yeah, just. This Giants team has proved so much to me because they have no business being here. For me, Dable is the coach of the year considering, one, they've gone to a winning record, and two, they won a playoff game with this roster. I mean, we talked about like the good pieces they have. They have no linebackers. They have one good safety in Xavier McKinney, and they have literally no receivers. They have a bunch of... They have a bunch of castoffs and holdovers from the old from the old regime, and a guy they signed off the practice squad is now their wide receiver one in Isaiah Hodgins. And Dable is making it work, and it's not like oh they're barely piecing together the passing offense and they're getting by the skin of their teeth. Like Danny Dimes threw for 300 yards last week, and it wasn't like he threw two 80 yard touchdowns that boosted his numbers. Their offense is really precise and consistent, and you imagine what they could do when they get more talented receivers. Now my interest is in how stark the difference in the two games they already played was the first game the Eagles won 48 to 22 Jalen Hurts was fully healthy Adoree Jackson was still out this was in New York and then last week of the regular season Jalen Hurts' first game back from injury the Giants are resting Leonard Will- the Giants are resting Leonard Williams Dexter Lawrence Adoree Jackson Daniel Jones 
Saquon Barkley. I want to say Hodgins didn't play. Andrew Thomas didn't play. Pretty much every good player they didn't play. The game was 22 to 16. Philly wins in Philly. And now Philly wasn't resting anyone because they were playing for the one seed. Jalen Hurts, maybe a little rusty, but still. this is You don't go from shellacking a team by 26 points on the road to then three, four weeks later, only winning by six and just hanging on to the very end against Davis Webb and killing and Kenny Galladay. So I do think there is some juice there. I, I really trust Dable to make it competitive. Danny Dimes and Saquon Barkley as rushers might be able to do a little bit, but I don't think it's going to happen just because the Eagles are so unbelievably stacked. Now, the Jalen Hurts injury has kind of almost made us forget just how great they are because Philly has three losses. One of them was that Commanders game when they played really poorly and they had that roughing the passer at the very end that meant they could never get a chance at the game-winning drive. They lost to the Cowboys by one touchdown in Dallas with Minshew. And then they had that weird loss to the Saints a week later in Philly. So they've had three losses. Two of them were super close to division rivals in the final minutes. And then one loss that can't be that can't be excused in the Saints game. So if Hurts doesn't get injured, this is a team that's probably 15-2 or 16-1. and And are we giving the Giants any, any chance in hell then? I mean, I am. I, I think they've got a chance. I mean, it's going to be a tough environment. A.J. Brown is going to try to show out. A lot of it comes down to how healthy Hurts is. But the momentum is there. I mean, we'll see. They'll, they'll play a good Philly team. But Dable has that magic. He really seems to. Guys, let's move on. Let's talk quickly Dallas 49ers. This uh, gives everyone flashbacks to the 1990s. But we get to see more Christian McCaffrey in this offense. That team looks more or less healthy. It, you know, every time they've made the playoffs in the last five years or whatever, they've made it to the NFC Championship game. I think a lot of people presume this is where the carriage turns into a pumpkin for Dallas. But uh, what do you think? Dak Prescott can look like he looked in Nashville. A month ago, he can look like a stiff, and he can look good like he did last week. What do you expect, big fella, to see from Dallas this weekend? I expect to see Dallas play lights out. I mean, I think both these teams are going to play lights out, which really makes it hard for me to, you know, really think about a winner. I mean, I want to lean lean towards San Fran because they're the home team, and I think they have a better roster, but Dallas... I mean, Dallas has played really well. We saw them beat the brakes off of Brady. Dak played damn near a perfect game. I mean, he threw four touchdowns, ran one in himself. I mean, they're not an easy out. This this might be probably... This is the I game think, of the week for me. Yeah, and that's why the, there's no no coincidence why they put it on Sunday night. I mean, yes, you talk about two yeah. Sunday afternoon, the, the late game, the last game of the, the playoffs, because you talk about two historic teams going at it against each other. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than this. I mean, yeah. how many I think I was listening on the radio that the Niners and the Cowboys have played each other nine times in the postseason, which may be the most against between two teams. Um, I, don't know, I feel like Raiders and Steelers is probably higher, but I don't know. The Raiders have been so bad recently. They've probably been hurting that part. But yeah, I mean, we could it's definitely up there and it's easily the most high profile playoff rivalry. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, it, it's it's got a ton of intrigue. There are a lot of big time players and I think both teams have strengths that go up against I mean, I guess you can call them weaknesses if you will, but um Yeah, it's really know. it's two juggernauts facing off in the divisional round instead of the uh, championship game. Because the Niners have won, I want to say they've won 11 games in a row. They've been really hot with both Jimmy G and Brock Purdy. The Cowboys have stuttered here and there, but still, they went 12-5. and They had a dominant playoff win last week, and they are loaded top to bottom. This is is probably the two best defenses in the NFL going against each other and two really good offenses going against each other. And the 49ers are looking to break a curse. Well, yeah, so the 49ers... 
The past five times they've made the playoffs, they have lost the Super Bowl champion. So they've <laughs> always been second best, never first. So this year, either they stave off that curse for another week and make it to the NFC Championship game, or if they lose, our friend Jackson might be feeling real happy about that. <laughs> well, and here's a crazy thought, too. What if the Niners win? And then what if the Niners win the Super Bowl? What does that say about their strategy with Trey Lance? What is Where does that leave them going forward? I think no matter how it ends, unless Purdy, hopefully not, unless he is like catastrophically injured or has the meltdown of all meltdowns, I mean, it's a serious competition because Lance has a game and a half played his entire career. Now, he's played... He started two games as a rookie, then he played a game and a half this year. He is a complete unknown. Brock Purdy is much, much cheaper because he was a seventh round pick instead of a first round pick. He's played really well within the confines of the offense. He operates well. He doesn't do anything too much. And the thing is, I don't think they're projected to lose any big free agents this offseason. So no matter what happens, they can pretty much run it back and then they'll just draft some guys with whatever draft picks they do have. So, I mean... It feels like it's almost a given that Trey Lance is kind of on his way out because, I mean, sure, he has more explosiveness and upside than, than Brock Purdy, but Brock Purdy is making this thing work. Jimmy G is definitely gone. Brock Purdy is a starter unless they still believe in Trey Lance. But I feel like they could get, they will get something back for Trey Lance. They'll run it with Brock Purdy and it'll just be really freaking good. I mean, they've won 11 straight games. Obviously, they probably don't go undefeated in the regular season, but this team is 13-4, played a really close playoff game with the Seahawks until the fourth quarter where they just exploded for three touchdowns and put the game out of reach. This team is arguably the best team in the NFL, and Brock Purdy is not just riding off their coattails. He's no Trent Dilfer in 2000, on the 2000 Ravens. He... His play is a little bit overrated for me, I think, because people just look at the stats and don't see how he, he's arguably on the best offensive talent in the NFL, but he's really good for a seventh-round rookie, and he plays with a lot of guts. I mean, this team is game of the week, hopefully, maybe game of the year. Just just looking at the four, at the eight teams remaining, it's hard to see a matchup that has just more combined talent, more combined stakes, more combined narratives, and just... I mean, hopefully it knocks it out of the park, and hopefully the Cowboys don't have a letdown because this Niners team is not a letdown. I think Buffalo-Cincinnati, that's got a lot of emotion behind it, obviously, with the events of three weeks ago. Yeah, but uh, none of those teams are as dangerous as we thought. Maybe they just stumbled last week in the wild card, but Buffalo had some of their play their playoff quirks and the Bengals just so many injuries mounting up on the offensive line even though their offensive line was so bad last year and they found a way to power through this it I mean you go back three weeks ago this isn't the matchup it used to be three weeks ago Lel Collins was healthy Alex Kappa was healthy Jonah Williams was healthy there's a chance all three of those guys aren't playing this is not the potential AFC championship game matchup we were promised three four weeks ago that unfortunately got cut short it'll still be good but but it doesn't have the same intrigue of cowboys 49ers uh, i agree uh, without well, obviously a doubt the nfl thinks it should because it's the cbs afternoon game yeah well i just think that yeah yeah i, I mean honestly looking at the slate i don't uh, i can't wait for all four of them oh yeah it's it's four great games but cowboys 49ers just towers over all the rest in terms of intrigue all right, that's it for Tennessee Titans talk. Got a really fun NFL weekend ahead of you. Hope you're ready for it. Hope everybody's doing well. Please go get your flu shot if you haven't already. I've had the flu. Big fellas had the flu. No fun. I hope everybody's doing well this January. We've got some football left, and we've got several months to talk about our Titans and, and what's going to happen in free agency and the NFL draft. I think they're off to a good start. I think they unloaded some baggage, and they've made, some, made an intriguing hire. So I'm excited. We will see you guys hopefully soon. Tighten up. Tighten up. Let's go Giants.